Salofa and welcome to the Samoan Scientist podcast. Today we have Alex Pivats who's going to chat to us about being an Indigenous scientist. So thank you Alex, thank you so much for coming to chat with us today. You're more than welcome, thank you for having me. Yeah and this beautiful setting guys is so nice out here, I've got my pillows and the couch, it's like <laughs> on a beautiful day. <laughs> it is so nice today. So can you just give everyone a bit of introduction about yourself, where you grew yeah. up, yeah, your family? Uh, kia ora, ko Alex Tuku Ingoa, no Ngāti Whātua, rau ko Te Rarawa Ahau, um, I am Māori and Croatian descent, and my iwi I done Whakapapa tu, uh, Ngāti Whātua and Te Rarawa in Taitokoro, so in the north of New Zealand. Mm. Um, I grew up, I think, in reflection relatively privileged compared to a lot of other um, Māori and Pacifica people in mm -hmm. New Zealand, or probably in the world really, um, in Whangarei. So I, by privilege, I mean I had both my parents at home, mm. um, or living under the same roof. I, my dad worked hard to provide, my mum would come to us with school camps and, mm. you know, all of those kinds of things. I was picked up after school. Um, and all of those things kind of shaped the pathway that I was able to follow. And I think now that I'm a little bit older and wiser, I've seen that that's not been the, the pathway for many of many other Māori and yes. um, Pacifica people in New Zealand, and especially in science. Mm. Um, so all these things kind of make up your your DNA and the, the genealogy of yourself. So I am um, when I was in living in Whangarei, I was very involved in basically everything I could get my hands on, so swimming, music, horse riding, hockey, mm. all of those kinds cool, of things. Cool. Very, very lucky. Um, so I had two siblings, um, two sisters, I was the middle child, um, which again probably speaks a lot. <laughs> Shout out middle children. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to the middle children. Um, and I, you know, had all the, all the, I, we had a roof over my head, uh, we were mm. well fed, we were um, dressed and everything. So even looking back at those kinds of things, it's allowed me to acknowledge what I was able to experience mm. and that that might not be the case for other people, you know, especially other Māori people. Um, so I went to primary school in Whangarei, had the best time ever, same at intermediate, that was awesome. And then I went to high school and that's kind of where I think I started seeing there was a difference in um, Māori and non-Māori. Right. Um, we didn't have a very high population of any other kind of um, ethnicities at school. Mm. So there was kind of the Māori kids and then there was kind of everyone else. And I kind of lumped myself in with everyone else. Mm -hmm. um, probably because I didn't grow up with a lot of the challenges that other Māori students at that mm -hmm. particular high school had. Um, so it was like a DSL 4 or 5 high school, it was mm -hmm. a public school, and it wasn't until I was about 5th or 6th form that the, there were quite clear messages that were coming through to me that my non-Māori friends weren't getting. So it mm. was things like, um, you're very good at PE, you're very good at outdoor education, oh, right. you're I very see. good at the physical things, yep. so mm. are you really getting the most value out of taking statistics, are you mm. doing well in maths, are you doing well enough in maths for it to be a potential pathway for you, probably mm. not, so they would try to actively direct me into the sports because that's where I was um, 
thriving at that mm. school. And you enjoyed the sports? And I loved it, yeah. 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 And so 16-year-old me goes home and tells my mum that I don't have to sit exams, I don't have to take stats, <laughs> because they told me that I'm better, I'm like, I'm going to make it as a um, hockey player or mm. And they being the teachers? And deans. And deans, and, wow. Um, the vice principal Wow. at that particular time. So these were like leaders that I exactly. saw around yeah. the school, um, seeing where I should be mm. focusing my energy. And of course, if you don't have to take maths when you're 16, you're not going to. No. <laughs> no one's going to no do that. Um, and I was just, again, lucky that I had a mother that turned around and said, that's absolute bull. Mm. You're taking your exams and yep. you're taking maths until the end of year, um, until sort of the end of year 12 at least. Yeah. Um, again, realising that that wasn't the same message that everyone was getting. Mm. So one particular stand-up point of my time at that high school was they pulled all of the just Māori students of year 11, 12 and 13 mm. into the hall and said, if you're not going to sit your exams or you're not going to pass your exams, don't bother turning up because wow. you are going to bring the school average down and we're already struggling. Um, so just don't do it and I don't know if you know much about um, especially Māori boys if you tell them not to do something they're going to do the exact opposite yeah. <laughs> yes so, oh like, so what do they all do if we all turned up I set my exams because my mother would have yeah. beat me if I didn't um, not really but you know uh-huh. um, and yeah all these kids turned up stayed in there until the 15 minutes or 20 minutes mm. had um, run up, wrote their names on their piece of paper and walked out. Um, and so that was like a real turning point for me. I was like, am I with them or mm. am I different? And why am I different? And why are they leaving? And wow. all these like kind of things at year, I think that was year 13. And I was like, this seems really, really weird. And did you take the sciences in your senior years? years I did. To 13? Yep. Yeah. I didn't take stats. Yeah. Because I thought I was too dumb for stats. I took, I didn't take physics because I thought I was too dumb for mm-hmm. physics. Um, but I took bio and I took chemistry. Mm-hmm. And I did really well in bio. Mm. And I didn't expect myself to because these previous years I'd been told, you know, do you're not sports. good at science. Wow. Yeah, do the sports, do the journalism or whatever else because... Wow. I was outgoing and good at talking, mm-hmm. so they kind of pointed me in those directions. Um, and then it wasn't until I got a bio teacher in year 12, I was like, you're ah. really good at this. Mm. Stick with it. And we came down to the Liggins Institute, I think, yes. Auckland University. Yeah. And we did some um, PCR and all these other things yeah, that yeah. we do. You know the, the ones when the year 12s come down? Yeah, yeah. So I was like... Oh, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I was like, Don't touch the cancer gel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was then that I was like, this isn't hard. Wow. You know, like, yeah, I see all these people in these lab coats. So, like, some of it is hard. Don't mm. be yeah, definitely humble about that. Mm. But I was like, this isn't outside of my capability. I can do this. Um, and I felt real smart being in a lab coat and then going yes. back and yeah, being yeah. like, I was at a lab and I saw cancer gel today. And I was wearing a lab coat. Yeah, I was wearing a lab coat. <laughs> <laughs> um so that was quite empowering, like that one trip for me. Mm. And I don't know, I think there was about four of us from that trip that actually continued into science um, in university from that cohort. I'm not sure what they do now, but um, that was kind of 
the start for me just having one teacher say that you're actually pretty good at this why don't we come on this field trip because everyone else said I couldn't and it was her and I still see her all the time and I'm like oh I do what I do because of you and she's like she's so lovely this um lovely South African lady Mm. um and so that was kind of the start of my self-belief that I might actually be able to do something or that bio was fun and that bio meant that I could understand the workings of the world I could see Mm. and I think that that's quite a key thing for um a key difference between indigenous and potentially non-indigenous scientists because we inherently know the workings of our planet um you know our tupuna navigated here using the stars um we knew the currents of the oceans we set um, seasons and plantings and all these things around yeah. our environment and that's just science exactly yeah and I again didn't know that that was in my blood um, and I it took me years to figure out that what I had studied in this western sense with books mm, and mm. lectures and in cold rooms was actually just what we already know so mm. <laughs> like and half half of it was amazing because I had this revelation that I was like of course and then half of it was like frustrating because I was like, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So when you're in high school and you've been told, no, you can't do science and really shunned towards the sports area, apart from your one teacher, biology teacher helping you, was there any other support that kind of kept you into the science when everyone else is saying no? There were parts of my, because I did take the sports. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did give in. <laughs> so I, st- I stuck with um, PE and like I did the ones with the more practical um sorry theoretical work in it and that mm-hmm. was like the biomechanics that was science too oh. so I was like so I actually can't get away from mm. this so in even in the um PE sense I was enjoying the science part of it so like figuring out like how to power the body how to energize mm-hmm. yourself how to look after yourself the cellular structure the mm-hmm. regeneration of tissue all of that stuff was science right yeah so exactly so it wasn't I enjoyed the physical part about the running which I wish I still did now because <laughs> that one catches up <laughs> but um you know once I figured out that that was science as well um yeah I just kind of bit my tongue and went for it at uni. Mm. yeah so when you finished year 13 you did quite well in biology you were saying in your year 13 exams so how do you decide what to do next I just followed my nose and that's like a really vague way of mm. knowing where to go because I, th- I was really nervous because all these people out of universe, out of high school had these plans. They were going to be a teacher and then they were going to do this and they were mm-hmm. going to do that or mm-hmm. they were going to go into nursing right. or journalism and work for TVNZ or whatever. Mm-hmm. They had all these plans and I was like, I just like figuring out why the trees need water. <laughs> You know, bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. or I just want to know why fish are silver like all yep. those kinds of things and I was like I'll just take the thing that means that I can spend the most time in the spaces that I love mm. um, so that was kind of why I ended up in the marine biology kind of papers I see. because that meant that I could do field trips in the water <laughs> I yes, could do studies in the water I could get fish and understand like the best seasons to get the fish, not knowing that indigenous knowledge is already there. Mm. But you know, I could understand all of that stuff. Um, so I think it was just me being cheeky and trying to figure out like how do I spend the most time at the beach 
and get a degree. <laughs> well, yeah, because you enjoy being outside and, yeah, doing outdoor activities, so that makes right. sense, yeah. And you want to do something that you love for the rest of your life. Exactly. And if being outside is what I love, I was never going to be, um, like, in finance, like, that doesn't interest me at all. And it yeah. interests a lot of people, but yes. I knew that that was going to be an office job. And the only way I was going to branch out of an office was to start my own business outside. Mm. And that was just going to happen. Again, I was told that I was in terrible at stats. So, <laughs> interestingly on that, I had, I, the first thing that I went to uni was, um, the first thing I saw when I went to uni was that I had to take stats. Yeah. <laughs> you can't and escape I was like, it. <laughs> what? <laughs> it, yeah. So, how do you choose what university you go to? At the again, time you're based in Whangarei. Yeah. Again, uh, mine was like not very well calculated at all, at all. I was like, which one means that I can go home faster? Yes. When I'm on yeah. Day? Yeah. No, Dunedin's a flight. Um, Wellington's oh, yeah. a flight. Christchurch is a flight. Um, Waikato, like that was an option, and yep. a lot of my friends were going there, um, and I liked that because it was um, a rural kind of setting, mm. and I kind of felt a little bit more like home. But it was just an extra little bit of travel mm. so yeah I was just like I'm going to Auckland and yeah. I didn't apply for anywhere else and like that was again terrible <laughs> I highly recommend not doing that my mum was like what, what happens if you don't get in and I was like what do you mean <laughs> I'm getting out Why would I get and luckily I got it because I had no backup plan mm. um so yeah I think that was just like how naive I was and I was like of course I want me <laughs> Yeah. And then how was the application process? Because it can be quite confusing sometimes. So confusing. Yeah. So how did you go about that? I cried a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I didn't know we were going to go to crying straight away. <laughs> I, well, I cried a lot. Like, I was real anxious, especially about moving away from yeah. Whangarei. Um, yeah. And like later on in my years, I'd see all my classmates getting dropped off by their parents, mm. or they had lunches, or they had dinner waiting for them mm. at, at the end of the day, and I didn't. I didn't mm. have those things. So yeah, I was real anxious. I didn't know how the papers worked. I and you don't really get much, or you didn't get much guidance when I started. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. improved yet. I'm not sure. Yeah, mm. um, but like I expected like in some universities the courses come with classes kind of set up for the yes. first year you kind of know what your schedule is going to be like and what classes you need to take you might have a couple of electives with Auckland Uni the beauty is that you could kind of design your own um, degree the downside of that was that if you didn't really know what the requirements of each degree was that you had to that you might have missed a paper mm. or you might have to restructure it later in your university years and I did that because I took too many stage three papers oh okay. <laughs> yeah no one does oh, no. that <laughs> only I did that so I took too many stage three papers and they didn't and one less stage two paper mm -hmm. so I had to go back to summer school to pick up another stage I, two actually, paper I, yeah I did that summer school <laughs> yeah which sucked um because again not at the beach yeah. <laughs> exactly and how was your first year of university, being away from home and doing these subjects, papers you weren't sure about? So I distinctively remember my first day. Um, I remember because I left it till the absolute last minute to have to go to university. Yeah. So I went down the day before I started, mm -hmm. which again, don't recommend doing that. Okay. But it can be done. <laughs> um, so I turned up the morning of Bio 101, I think it was. It was a 9 till yeah. 10 o'clock session. Um, and I had no idea where 
that lecture theatre was. It's yes. the Owen Glen. Yes. Um, I had no idea where that was. There were all these people walking around. And so I asked this guy, um, he had the Ask Me t-shirt on. Yep. And I was like, I'll ask him. I was like, I'm looking for this building. Um, and he took me to the building. And on the way, he started hitting on me in Croatian. And I was just like, <laughs> oh no. Is this what it's like being here? Because oh, no. <laughs> like, that, that doesn't happen. That didn't happen in Whangarei. Like no. if you ask someone for help, they'll either help you or ignore you. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this guy's going to help me. Yeah, so that was like my first oh, day. No. And then I went to class um, and then just kind of found a map and figured my way around. But my first term was very lonely because mm. I didn't know that services like tour kind of existed mm-hmm. um, until I was pulled out by Martin and Mike being like, you. <laughs> <laughs> you look Come here. <laughs> I, like, I didn't have any friends because there were three of us from my high school that went to Auckland University that mm-hmm. really went to Waikato. Um, and I just kind of, I did very well because I just studied the whole time, like during, mm. the, during the day. But I had no friends, I had no support network. Mm-hmm. I had um, my sister who had, was based in Auckland at the time, so I could talk to her. But apart from that, like, I used to get all anxious going to university because mm. just things like eating your lunch by yourself. Yes. And, like, now I love eating my lunch yeah. by myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is a scary thing. I can relate to that, yeah. Because people think, well, you think people are looking at you like, she's alone. She doesn't have any friends. Which was like, true for me. <laughs> <laughs> so were you uh, at the halls or were you renting or were you um, So I stayed with my sister for the first oh, term. Yeah. Um, and then I decided to go into the halls. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to go into the halls. Um, before and I was accepted into O'Rourke mm-hmm. and then I couldn't take my car so I couldn't oh. get home in the weekends back to Whangarei oh. um, because it was like an extra charge on the car park oh. um, so I was like maybe I'll just stay with my sister and then after that I went into um, the halls because it was closer and I didn't have to travel all the way from South Auckland and mm. um, I started making friends and stuff that way yeah how did that, can I ask, um, how did that work financially for you? Because studying is expensive. Studying is expensive. And so, yeah, how did that work? Um, so I was lucky enough to be have scholarships throughout my first year. Um, so I received the Prime Minister's scholarship and mm. there was another scholarship for local kids and students in um, Whangarei, so I received those two. So that got me through my first year. Mm. Um, did you apply for those in high school? Or? Yes. Ah, so how yes. did you find out about them if people were saying, no, you're not going to do science? Oh, I'm just yeah. real nosy. Like, ah. Google, Google, um, and then Breakout, they were like, I don't know. Oh, like that's, the, yeah, Breakout. Yeah. Scholarship websites. Scholarship websites. Yes. Yeah, so I just look on all of those things. And then um, there were posters at high school, and even though my teachers thought I wouldn't do well, I just applied for them anyway because I'm Māori and I'm like a bit wow. cheeky like that. I was like, screw <laughs> like, these guys, I can but, um, and it worked out. And it worked out. Wow. So a lot of the, and the frustrating thing at high school was that people were going, the only scholarships you're going to get are Māori scholarships. And I'm really frustrated at my 16-year-old self again because I was like, screw you, I'm not even going to apply for the Māori scholarships mm. because I know I don't need them. Mm. But in hindsight, I should have. <laughs> <laughs> so like, 
and like if you and if you and if you understand like the history of New Zealand, the history of Māori, the differences and success rates, um, where that money comes from. So um, with the when the Iwi scholarships, Māori are entitled to those, mm -hmm. and we deserve them. And I'm frustrated that I didn't <laughs> apply for them because I didn't have that knowledge. Yeah. And did you feel Māori enough to apply for the scholarships? No. Yeah. Absolutely not. Because I didn't grow up on my Māori. Mm. Um, I'm still learning the real now. Um, so, no way. Even when like I won an award at school and the entire front row of Māori students got up and did a haka for me and I was like, wow. I don't even deserve this. Like, so there were parts mm. of me that I was like, there are people worse off than me who are Māori who need this. So therefore, I'm not going to apply for it. Mm. Not realising that maybe they weren't going to apply for it either and then none of us got it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so you would have said to your younger self, just apply just for it because for there's it. money for us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's there for a reason. Mm. And sometimes for, um, now that I've like worked in organisations that give scholarships, sometimes if people don't apply, you, you lose that funding. Uh, so the businesses or the organisations or whoever, they need you to apply for them so that mm. they can prove that there's a need for this and they can get funding to continue the sustainability mm. of the scholarships in future. So that was quite an important thing when I was older, I was like, I should have just I should have just applied for them because like every dollar counts guys. Exactly. <laughs> so after your first year when you've made some a few friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah a yeah, few yeah. friends and you got some support. How did you carry on with your bachelor's degree? Your marine science? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I well that's why I had, I had to change the title of it because okay. of the weird stage three, stage two paper mix oh, up. So right, right. yeah, my title was ecology, uh -huh. but it was still science and then I did the bio stuff post grad. Yeah, stage two is even like a bit of a blur now because I just mm. kind of feel like I survived stage two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I'd moved out of the halls, I'd lived with some people that um, were I got on really well with as friends. Mm -hmm. um, and the house that I lived in was predominantly male, mm -hmm. and males are disgusting to live with. <laughs> so I learned. Um, so I had to change, like, I had to change rental agreements halfway through the year. Mm. Um, I had a few friends, but again, like they were um, based in Auckland, like their parents lived in Auckland. Okay. And so when it came to things like, oh, do you want to go to the movies? And like you work by by now, I was working as well mm. um, to try and stop having to ask for extra cash from mum and dad. Yeah, yeah. Um, and because I was only on one, only on one scholarship. Um, mm -hmm. Only my scholarship that I had only covered my course my course costs. Mm -hmm. Um, so anything else in, that I needed, I had to pay for, um, and I was under the student loan umbrella. Yeah. So I was just real conscious of trying not to mm. spend too much of that money. Um, so at stage two, it kind of started, was where it started getting a little bit tricky, because that's when you're trying to um, start managing more in terms of your personal life and your um, study life. And also, you can't quite see the light yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like right in the tunnel. You're like deep, deep in the tunnel. Um, and I think in hindsight, like I would have been a little bit more open, like with the challenges that I was having with like my friends and, and whanau and stuff, because I think if I knew that my friends were going through some of the same things, one, it would make it easier mm. to um, work together on those things. And two, sometimes it just means that like, I'm sure some of my friends' parents would have invited me over for dinner, you know, like yeah. on a Friday or Saturday night, just to make sure that I was like, okay, or mm. just to give me a bit of a family foundation in Auckland as well. 
because by then my sister had moved back to um, Whangarei so mm. like it was a very a bit of a growing period mm. I think in my, my stage twos and that's how did kinda, you get through that? Um, again I, I kept playing hockey so that oh, was really important that's good yeah um, I still play hockey because I enjoy it mm. but it's also a really good outlet for me mm. so one or two times a week you're forced to put everything down and just go do something that you love yeah um, so even if it's like touch or art or swimming or like just going for a walk mm. that was forced time that I had to step away from studies and stress mm-hmm. um, and just be like 100% somewhere else yes yeah. um, and I think I honestly think that that's been was really helpful um, I started going to the tuakana mm-hmm. um, started getting involved in tuakana and that gave me an insight that there were more people there like me um, it gave me somewhere safe to study it gave mm. me somewhere warm to study and eat my lunch when I had nowhere to go yeah. um, and it gave me the family kind of whanau whanaungatanga vibe that you don't get outside in the quad mm. or um, you know in any other study space I mean sometimes the people in there would be hoha as yeah. <laughs> like a family like a family can be yeah. you need like time to just step out for a couple weeks um, but just having like a safe place to go that mm. felt like home on campus was really important to me I think you've kind of alluded to it but how did you feel being a uh, Māori girl and woman at the university there were, there were, just weren't many of us, mm-hmm. I don't think. I don't know if there was anyone else in my cohort. In really? No, especially not on postgrad. I was the only wow. Maori female in my postgrad that I, that I knew of. So there might have been others that weren't involved in the talk and a program mm. or weren't in the Didn't same. Didn't identify maybe. Yeah, yeah, or weren't taking the same paper so I didn't see them. But... Um, like it, it was cool seeing other Maori students, but again, like there aren't many people that look like me, mm. and especially like there, a lot of the industries are so male dominated for many different reasons. Mm. But um, was it kind of like in high school where you thought, "Oh, where do I belong?" or "What group am I with?" By then, I think I'd found enough of my self confidence to say, "Like I'm okay with being the different one here." Wow. Um, how was that? How did you find that? I was challenged heaps by the men, like the, really? <laughs> the other peers, the other male peers oh. um, in my cohort. Um, when I'd speak up about something, I felt like sometimes I like just disagreeing to disagree. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, I mean, I can give as much as I can take. So I would again stand up and disagree just to disagree. Yeah. So, <laughs> which, like, you be know, be cheeky again. Yeah, just be cheeky. Back. Um, but like not everyone has that isn't isn't outgoing like some people are yeah. way more reserved and so my main like message was like I'm okay to stand up and like and push back on this or I'm okay to put you in the in your place but not everyone's like me mm. so you just need to like shush <laughs> <laughs> because like you by you putting me down it tells the other females in this space mm. that you're going to do the same to them mm. Um, or that they're going to have to like have a stronger backbone and push back and that's not cool like we should all be creating safe spaces for us to share our knowledge and mm. to share our um, opinions because if you cut out you know those people in the room you're going to miss out on some real gems oh yeah definitely 
Um, so, yeah, the and I built some really cool relationships through Tuakana. Um, and then sometimes, like, there's the a structure. I have to be very careful about how I, how I structure it, but the the brotherhood mm-hmm. of Maori and Pacifica men is like amazing for each other. Mm. It can be really detrimental to females in that same space. Um, so, for example, in the university setting, um, that was probably more when they they found each other in the universities and it would move yeah. into the casual casual space. So I don't oh, okay. think that I would have seen any kind of negative um, backlash in the university setting. Mm-hmm. I don't think that mm-hmm. the lecturers would have put up with it. I don't think that no. um, people in that same space would have put up with it. But outside, when everyone's sort of having a drink or two okay. or, or banding together on, on certain things, um, sometimes they just forget how detrimental one negative comment can be mm. on another person, um, especially towards females. Like, it can already be quite difficult to have a conversation with uh, someone who's elder, so a komato, for example, mm. even though you might be a specialist in what you know, trying to um, navigate that hierarchical yeah. kind of relationship, especially yeah. in maori can be quite difficult because, like, one, you're already female, so you're mm. on the back foot. Mm. Two, you're 20, 30 years younger, so, you know, it's even what do you know? more difficult. Yeah. And so one, like like comment that no one even means any negative intention can actually be really detrimental to how someone else looks at you Mm. Um, and I just know a lot of women a lot of Māori women try to um, or work really hard to create a a good personal brand um, in corporate settings or you know on panels and all these Mm. other things so it takes you a while to build a bit of respect and trust in that space and one comment that someone says while they're having a beer with someone else can tear a lot of that down. Right. Um, so I guess as, as women and as men, we just need to be a little bit cautious of the way that we're talking about each other, especially mm. as Indigenous peoples, because we know that we've still got a lot of work to do. So, you know, taking digs at each other in front of other people mm. um, can be really, really damaging. And I think that um, we can all probably be a little bit more careful about how we speak about into each other mm. and I guess now, now with the internet that adds another component to it because people um, feel more free to talk about whatever they want yeah yeah, yeah. and like freedom of speech and everything like hey Tifa I get I hear you <laughs> and I'm all for that um but just be mindful of some of the I mean you can never take back a word said or a, a, mm. cast, a stone cast right so I think that we can just all do better just blanket general <laughs> we can just all just be kind of humans I think yeah. and just as indigenous people and as indigenous women we just need to look after each other just mm. that little bit more just a little bit more monarchy for our brothers and sisters I think we didn't go astray so did you kind of notice that more when you went into the workplace or was there kind of little hints of it at university I didn't realise at the time, but there were hints of it at right. university. You didn't know what it looked like, what it sounded like. Didn't know like, what yeah. it looked like, didn't know what it sounded like, didn't know that I probably should have stamped it out mm. or called it out a little bit earlier. Um, in saying that, sometimes I felt like I was always the broken record. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. Like, oh, show Alex, or oh, he didn't mean it, or... Oh. And you're like, if I let one thing slide, then... You know, again, I'm the outspoken one. Mm-hmm. What are you What are you saying to our, you mm-hmm. know, our Tana coming through, our younger students coming through? 
you're telling you know one group that it's okay to behave like this you're telling another group that it's okay to enable it Mm. it's very difficult so what would you have told your younger self if you came into a situation like that if someone spoke up to you I think yeah I think that I probably at at the times at university that it bothered me if if my um, direct approach wasn't going to work I actually think that I would escalate it Mm -hmm. to a lecturer or a student support person um, just to say that hey look I've noticed this just to call it out a little bit mm-hmm. um, to acknowledge that it is it does happen at university mm-hmm. like we like to think that it's a great journey and but there is um, sexism there there is mm-hmm. racism there mm-hmm. there are all these little things that we know um, and if we don't start calling them out or just mm-hmm. letting people acknowledging it that it's happening um, even the casual stuff yeah then are we building a better society or are we just mm-hmm. enabling the same behaviors that have always occurred and I think some people don't actually know that they're saying something racist. They genuinely right. don't have a clue. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So being someone who can call it out, whether it not be, you could literally call it out or just like whisper to someone else. I yeah. think that helps a lot. Yeah. yeah. And there's a real knack to how to do it. And there's always some people that you just, you know, it's going to create um, conflict where it's not mm. going to be beneficial for anyone. And so you've got to be, you've got to use... Um, a bit of your own knowledge to figure out whether that's an appropriate time or way to do it mm. but I do think that like New Zealand as a society we're evolving I think we're in a quite a painful place right now because yep. we've got half of the country well, what feels like half of the country saying like we're not okay with this mm. this can't happen anymore and we're having the other half of the country being like what are you talking about yes yeah yeah, I feel that as well. I don't experience that, so it doesn't happen. Mm. You're like, well, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So when you finished your bachelor's degree and you've had all those challenges and kind of realisations about this is what the university is like, how do you decide what to do next? I went and worked for an insurance company, mm-hmm. which had absolutely nothing to do with science, and I loved it because yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just like could step out of it, earned a little bit of money. I Was could it go in Auckland? No, so it was back in Whangarei, oh, I could go yeah. um, live at yeah. home, I could ride my horses, yeah. you know. Um, and then uh, that, that happiness lasted for like maybe 18 months. Oh. <laughs> I got to a point and I was like, this is actually really boring. Ah, <laughs> got yeah, boring. It got boring. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's just there was only so much I was ever going to learn there. Um, and, like the people were fun, the experiences were fun, but it just got to a point where I was like, I still really love science mm. and I still love playing with data and I still like figuring out like what this looks like um, for us and what this means and, and how to you know analyze things and I was trying to get all these things at work and it, there wasn't much that I could do um, and there yeah, like it was all good I learned some people skills I learned um, things about corporate environments mm-hmm. um, about politics at work yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I went back and did my postgrad Mm-hmm. Diploma in science, um, and my main outcome of that was to gain my master's. So, mm. because I don't, I don't even know whether it was because um, I felt like I needed my master's, or there was like some, there was definitely something inside of me saying like, because they said you can't, you can. Ah, prove them wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I still haven't even gone back to school to show them, but like I know that I did it. <laughs> yes, yeah, no. Um, so yeah, I don't know whether 
well, yeah, there was definitely some of that element. Um, there was an element of me wanting to be the most qualified person in my family because mm -hmm. middle trial syndrome. Um, <laughs> no one even like really cares. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you're happy, my family's yes. like all good. <laughs> I've got one sister with a degree, one without me with a master's, and we're all mm. like treated and loved exactly the same. <laughs> so that was just probably yeah, middle trial syndrome, um, and. Also, like, there's more debt that comes with mm. postgrad studies. Um, but Did you also, get another scholarship for the for your studies? No, not for no. my masters. I think I got a couple of help with like my um, field work. Yeah. But I yeah, ended up paying with all of that my student loan. Mm -hmm. By paid for, I mean paying now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Along with everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> Along with everyone yeah. else. Um, yeah. So I went back and did my postgrad. And I knew that I was going to do my master's. This was probably the first time I went to university with a plan. Mm. Because I, stage one, two, three, I just kind of picked the ones I liked. Yes. Or yep. were getting good grades at. Um, assuming that in, I don't know, 20 years time, the information was all going to change anyway. Mm. And it just meant that if I had good grades, then that would be helpful. Again, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> like, if you've got your degree at the end, actually, and you're a good human, then people are going to employ you. True. Um, that's important to remember. It is important. That's really important to remember. If you get a, a C or a C plus on your marks, you're like, my life is over. I'm never going to get yes. an internship. Yeah. Um, what's the point? There are other things that workplaces look for mm -hmm. in students and interns, and it's I've never been asked for my grades. Mm. There you go. Yeah. So I mean, try. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely say try. <laughs> But um, it's definitely not the end of the world if you get an A minus or four from what I wanted to do anyway. I'm not sure it would be different with med and law and stuff, mm, I guess. Mm. But yeah, for me, it, no one's no one's ever looked at my grades. Um, what was your master's project about? So my master's was work looking at aquaculture. I knew I liked aquaculture, mm -hmm. and I knew I liked sustainability. What's aquaculture? Just for fun. So um, for me, the aquaculture part that I liked was about like growing and farming um, shellfish and mm. um, finfish. So I liked that stuff. I knew that in New Zealand we didn't do any finfish aquaculture. Is fin? I have no idea about fishes. So is finfish quite <laughs> large? Or is it like a small fish? Or? Um, so like. I, fin fish in general, I um, just say like the snapper, the oh, tuna, okay. the salmon, yeah. yeah, so anything with a fin. Yeah. Um, sorry, that's... That's all right. That's like fisheries. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I wanted to do fish or shellfish mm -hmm. aquaculture. And then I knew that um, this is kind of when I started looking at it with a plan. I was like, shellfish aquaculture in New Zealand is... Either you're either in salmon, salmon farming, okay. or you're in mussel farming, really, and then there's a little bit of oyster farming. So I was like, those are kind of my three options. I don't see myself living in Nelson because it was in the South Island yeah. <laughs> and too far away from Whangarei. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I wanted to do those three things. I knew that there was a supervisor at university that I respected, that I had a lot of fun learning with. Mm and that I wanted to work with and so I went to him and I said I like this I want to do this do you have anything coming up next year because I was doing my postgrad yeah next year that we can start um that I can do my um, planning around and he said that he had a perfect the perfect um project for me working with the Orake Iwi um, 
hapu of Ngāti Whātua. So it was kind of like a cousin mm. cousin thing, and they were looking for a Ngāti Whātua um, student. Ideally, they would have an Orake one, but they got me. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> too bad. But you were saying you were the only one in your postgrad course? Yeah. yeah. Doing marine science. Yeah. Yeah, so I was the only one, mm. definitely the only Māori female, and definitely mm. the only one from Ngāti Whātua mm. um, yeah, at that time. So we pulled together, my master's thesis was on the utilisation of bivalve, bivalves in bivalve aquaculture. Mm-hmm. I've put this in a very dark place in my mind. Yeah. It was, it was painful. <laughs> Sorry, we had to go <laughs> <in> there. <laughs> utilisation of um, bivalve aquaculture in urban environments um, towards bioremediation. Or it was, you know, looking at how shellfish can extract heavy metals and um, anything else and heavy metals and nutrients in urban environments yeah. um, to help clean waterways. Wow. Yeah, so I did a lot of work with the muscle restoration projects in the um, Okahu Bay, in, mm-hmm. down in Michelia's Mission Bay Mission area. Bay. Yeah. yeah, so for that I had to get my rescue diver certificate, which mm-hmm. was very cool. So that was all funded for through the iwi, so I was mm. very grateful for that. And so I got my open, open waters, advanced open and rescue divers, mm-hmm. um, as per the university's requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then spent a lot of that year out on the out on the water um, with a project that kept failing. Failing. Yeah. <laughs> How so? <laughs> um, and this is where my my first um, interaction with Matauranga came along. Okay. Because we went out and we reseeded a whole bunch of mussel beds um, on uh, with uh, when the moon was in an unfavourable position, mm-hmm. and there was a king tide the next day, and they all washed up on the beach dead. Oh. Yeah. And I went down to check and I saw them down there and I went back to my supervisor's um, room crying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the first time I cried <laughs> over my masters. And I said, the muscles are all up on the, the muscles are up on the beach. My project's screwed. We haven't got enough time to mm. reseed them and to get some good data for the rest of the year. What are we going to do? Um, and he kind of laughed at me because he was like, it's fine. <laughs> We had backup plans. Um, and then I looped in uh, one of the women who was um, coordinating the project with the iwi. And she spoke to a komatua who also laughed and said, did you check the moon? And I was like, why would I check the yeah, moon? Yeah, why would I do that? Yeah. And now I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I went up and spent a bit of time with them and learned a little bit more about like the tides mm. and what they've seen. And they live there, right? So they know... They know Maramataka, they know the um, the tides, they know what to expect. Mm. And I think it was one of those things that like the elders let you go and make a mistake before they come and tell you what to do. Right. Um, which is a very expensive mistake, but that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of like my first interaction with like the value of indigenous knowledge. Mm. And even if you want to take a step back from that and just like local knowledge, even just asking locals before you start like having a, a project in local communities mm. um, is important and consulting doesn't necessarily mean that you go in and tell them what's good for them it's like listening to what they need what they see um, what they want and then negotiating that with what you know mm. um, 
what the, I don't know what your company's trying to achieve or whoever's paying is trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and what you know is fact. And then I guess as an indig- as Māori working in these spaces, like what I feel is right. Mm. So sometimes in a corporate setting, you've got to make decisions that you don't feel like you agree with necessarily. Um, I'm still learning how to do that. I choose to, I just push back. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I get ignored. But I haven't got to a point where like, I'm like, this isn't good for our people mm. and that's okay. I'm like, this isn't good for our people and I can't, I can't. Yeah, yeah. So... I don't think I want to change that part about me though. Like I want to, I want to take that into whatever, wherever my career pathway goes and goes, Mm. you know, this is why I'm here is to make sure that our people are looked after, to make sure that the land is looked after Mm. or the waterways are looked after. And if that's not, if we're not going to achieve that, then we can't. Mm. So after your master's, was that kind of like, yeah, I really enjoy science and was that like, yeah, there's also this Mataranga Māori that I have to learn about. So was that kind of like a really cool, exciting time for you? It was very exciting. It was yeah. very soul-destroying, yeah. I think. <laughs> I don't know where the other master's like... <laughs> no, no, we're all been... <laughs> I spoke to Brogan, she's like, oh, I don't really want to tell you. Like, it was, my master's like, ugh. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> so yeah, it's very normal. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'm going to have like all these fancy letters after my yeah. name. And then you get there and you're like, this isn't worth it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. Like, it, it's tough because you don't have that much time. You don't have that much resource. You're doing a lot of learning. Um, you need like a good self-care plan. Yeah. <laughs> you actually do um, for things like that don't go, don't go well. Um, so, yeah, with my master's, I was like, I like this. Mm-hmm. I think I like this. <laughs> um, there were times like, um, also save your work. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I lost like a whole bunch of data. Because I was like, I'd never be that guy. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then I spilled coffee all over my computer. Oh no! And I hadn't backed it up because that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so I'd lost like a month's worth of work, um, which was very frustrating. Mm. So I cried again. Yeah. Um, so yeah I did like it and I felt more empowered Mm. because I was like I'm a specialist in something now like I've got a book to (laughs) a thesis to prove it um I've learned a lot I feel um like I've learned a lot (laughs) yeah yeah what works what doesn't work um but I think with your masters like it just it forces you to grow so much um in terms of time management in terms of people management in Mm. terms of learning like technical stuff that you didn't learn in your bachelor's degrees um you get way more one-on-one time with the supervisor so Mm. you get a bit more specialist care um and knowledge and then there was the whole whole maori stuff and i was like where does this fit in my thesis Ah. And it didn't. <laughs> so I didn't put it in there. You didn't? I didn't. Did you have a conversation with your supervisor about that? The Mataranga Māori? Yes and no. Okay. Um, like a little bit. And like where it was appropriate, we, we fit it in. But my the thing with Mataranga for me is that it's not something that you can write down all the time. Mm. Like not all of your learnings are appropriate yes. for a book or yeah. for a blog or... Mm-hmm. Um, 
and so sometimes like the learnings that you have you're now the kaitiaki or the guardian of that knowledge and it's up mm. to you to decide who you choose to share that with yeah um so i was like you know what let's just leave that out um and then you have other people that are like you know share it with the world like we need yeah. everyone to know and we need everyone to learn and like that's cool too um so there are like parts of things that i've learned that i'm like yeah this is like awesome check your local knowledge mm. like learn as much as you can especially on maramataka like that's all that's all general knowledge mm. stuff like everyone's at, um, got access to that and then there are like stories that are quite specific to different hapu or different iwi mm. or different whānau that are quite special to them yeah um and like places that are special um that you wouldn't want people looking for or visiting yeah, yeah. um so yeah i'm still navigating like how to how to share that mm. or, or who to share that with um but i think as long as if and this is a good thing with getting like more indigenous into science is because we can start weaving this into the conversations that we're having at work and it just like starts sparking people who haven't had that knowledge to be like hey there might actually be more be mm-hmm. more to why we can't cut this tree down yes or yeah. there, there might be more about why these this fish this particular fish is so important to someone um and Sometimes I just like tease people at work. I'm like, if you do that, you'll get the hoop. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Something bad will happen to you. They're like, oh, oh really? Like, no. <laughs> but maybe. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. So, what do you decide what you want to do after your master's? Um, I was like, honestly, I just, I like, that was the only year that I'd planned in my mm-hmm. entire, like, career or anything that was the only year that I've planned and I think I'd had like because I'm like a goal setter Mm -hmm. so like every year I set up like a few things that I'd like to achieve um would you write it on your in the notebook Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um now I use a google docs document Mm -hmm. because I lose books (laughs) (laughs) um and then start a new one and then I have like eight books full of goals and all the goals are different um so yeah, I'll write them down at the end of the, the beginning of every year, just to like put some thought into some mm-hmm. milestones that I'd like to achieve over the next two, five, ten years. Yeah. Um, but that year was the only year that I've been like, okay, I want to do this. I need this person to help me, mm. and this is the outcome that I want. Halfway through my masters, I found um, the Global Fisheries Scholarship. Okay. That popped up in my inbox. Actually, no, it was a newspaper clipping. <laughs> newspaper? <laughs> newspaper clipping that my dad had cut out. Whoa. Yeah. And, and they... you didn't do your master's that long ago. No. 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 <laughs> Alex isn't that old. <laughs> um, so I was just like, ah. glad that my dad still got the newspaper. Because yeah. I didn't. Um, and that was the only way that they were advertising it was on the newspaper mm. so it's probably fair to say that they i didn't have that much competition yeah because i don't know how many people applied or read the newspaper mm. um and so yeah i applied for that scholarship and got it so the year as i was finishing up my master's and handing my thesis in i was also packing my bags to move to japan wow um and that scholarship so i received that scholarship at the beginning of my master's like thesis year um or the project oh. year and then i had to juggle japanese lessons as oh well gosh. with all of those those things um and were you working during your masters this was when i got another i got support from oh, uh, another um 
facility at the University of mm-hmm. Auckland, so I was part of the James Hinato Research mm-hmm. Institute there. Yeah, so they funded my master's. It wasn't a huge amount of money, um, but it was enough Something. to tie me over. Um, and the good thing about that was that I could base myself in Whangarei. Mm. Um, and then I picked up a few part-time hours at the Power Aquaculture Facility in oh. Rokaka. Oh, okay. What were we doing here? Um, I was a grow-out technician, which basically I would look after a shed full of power oh. and walk around in the dark all day. <laughs> Why in the dark? Because <laughs> um, the power will live thrive better in the dark because the water doesn't oh. heat up too much. Um, okay. They're like the nooks and the crannies and the... Yep. Yeah. True. Yeah, so that's what I, I fed power for half a year. <laughs> and then you're preparing for your trip to Japan mm-hmm. for the scholarship. Yeah, what... Can you just explain what the scholarship was for? What it was about? So the Global Fisheries Scholarship is awarded by Te Ohu Kamoana, who um, is sort of the governing body of the fisheries settlement. Or it used to be the Waitangi Tribunal Fisheries something mm-hmm. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of their agreement when they sold half of um, Sea Lord to the Japanese company Nisoi was mm-hmm. to take a Māori student over there every year. Mm. So in 2016, I was that student that, mm. that went to Japan. Um, it was like a surreal thing to unpack my bag. Well, I didn't even unpack my bag, so I like got into this shoebox of an apartment. I genuinely feel like it wasn't much bigger than what we're sitting on right now. Mm. <laughs> my gosh. Um, like with my bag, like I dragged my bags inside. I just flew into Tokyo, caught a train, and ended up in the middle of the city. And I was like, "I came from, I came from Whangarei. Yeah, and this is where I am. Yeah, yeah. Mm. What the heck? Yeah, <laughs> I've seen some of those rooms on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, and um, I remember there was a guy. He just had like a desk on one mm-hmm. side and then there was a bed just mm-hmm. pretty much next to him and then he had all of his clothes up there. Yeah. 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 So you learn to be way tidier than what I used to be because <laughs> if you're messy, you have no space to live. <laughs> like, that is it. Yeah. Um, so you lived out of a suitcase for a year. Um, you, I mean, you're to- you've got your toilet and then on top of the toilet where the water, we like flush the when you push the flush button, yeah, yeah, yeah. the water that refills the um, cistern comes out as a tap so you can wash your hands. Mm-hmm. That's how small the rooms are because there's no like space for mm. a for a um, sink. But even that's like quite efficient. Like why don't we use yeah, the I water think, yeah. twice rather than just once? Mm. Um, how was your Japanese at the time? The, so my Japanese at the time was terrible. Like, I had the vocabulary of maybe a three or four year old. Oh. Um, I didn't feel, I felt like I sounded silly when okay. I spoke it. Um, so it made it harder for you to catch the train when you got off the plane and kind of navigate even your first kind of yeah day there. Yeah, Yeah. so I tried to learn like all the phrases I'd need to get through the airport, mm, the phrases okay. I'd need to get myself a taxi to wherever I needed to be, and the phrases to order coffee. Mm. <laughs> Those are my priorities. <laughs> and are you fluent in Maori as well? No. 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 Yeah. So Japanese is my second language. Yeah. And then Maori, I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was an also a thing. Like by the end of it, I was like, what the heck? Like I don't even know my native tongue and I can speak the language mm. of Alpha across the Pacific. Um, and How? saying that, it meant that I could do it. Yeah. 
Um, and especially growing up in New Zealand, we weren't really encouraged to speak any mm-hmm. other language except English. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was frustrated being there because I was living in a country that their indigenous people had full sovereignty. Mm. Like, we were expected to go there and learn the language and to respect their customs and to um, behave in a way that was acceptable and polite to them. Which is fair, Mm -hmm. right? And I was happy to do that. And then I came here and I was like, we don't do any or very little of that here. So how do we get Mm. Māori from where we are now to maybe not full sovereignty let's be fair but like just to even half of that like to even have people speaking it and we're getting there Mm. we are but that was like another confronting cultural shock Mm. when I got there Um, what did you learn about the fisheries over there the main thing they're way more advanced than what we are yeah (laughs) (laughs) so much more advanced like um, their aquaculture is absolutely amazing one of the most um, amazing times that I had was at this marine technology centre. It was the, the, basically the company had its own labs. Mm. And that, it was just amazing. In fact, one of the um, men that worked there knew Andrew Jeffs from Auckland University, okay. who was the, he was like the muscle and crayfish guru at Auckland University. He's like, oh, do you know, you know Mr. Jeffs? And I was like, yeah, wow. I, do. <laughs> I do this is insane like yeah. there's this little lab in Oita that knows a professor from the university that I came in um, so they were like they were so cool they were doing all these um, their breeding programs mm-hmm. were way more advanced um, their systems were way more advanced they were trying to sort out octopus aquaculture mm. um, but the octopuses kept escaping because they're very smart right <laughs> so they're like, they can't escape and we don't know how to stop them oh my gosh <laughs> did you I see them lucky. escape yeah. no 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 I didn't oh, see no. Them. they didn't see them escape right uh, so they oh, like escape overnight yeah. or tricky or whatever <laughs> yeah they're amazing um yeah so it was like it was great I can handle heart say that I didn't see any whaling mm. um which I was very it was very important to me yeah. that I wasn't gonna witness anything that I felt like really strongly about mm. um, not to say it didn't go on but I didn't see it and I believe the company that I was with um, withdrew from whaling years yeah. ago which is awesome um, and then just like the sheer size of everything like they just do everything um, times 3000 to what we do here wow. it's just amazing um, and saying that even some of their like their tuna aquaculture is still largely um, reliant on catching young tuna, mm-hmm. so it's still heavily reliant on the wild fisheries. Okay, um, which was like quite disappointing because I expected them to be a little bit. I expected someone to be further along the aquaculture, mm. um, I guess, journey to be able to breed them in captivity. But tuna, once they get to a certain size, start eating each other. Oh. So there'd always be like one left out of one million um, oh. offspring. So they'd be like, that was a fail. Yeah. <laughs> so they haven't quite, or they, um, or they start swimming so fast that they bash into the sides of the tanks and they kill themselves. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like all these like little things oh that they couldn't get their diets right to keep them full so they wouldn't mm-hmm. eat each other and they couldn't figure out how to um, keep them in captivity um, as young. So they would rely heavily on the wild mm. fisheries 
um, in saying that they, the fishers would also say that you know the fish that we're catching here are now migrating to colder or warmer waters, and so we could see the impacts of climate change happening. Mm. And they knew that they were happening way longer than way earlier than you know all the news articles and stuff that were coming out. But you know now, so all these, I mean, like we've been, we've the signs have been there that things have been changing for mm. years and for years and we have either been ignoring them or just they haven't changed so much that it's affected human life yet so um how were you away from home for a year yeah yeah and how did you deal with that uh, quite a lot yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it was hard it was hard because um I like to talk through things like if mm. things aren't working well or if I need help um I'd need to talk through things um with people but like everyone around me spoke Japanese so I didn't even know how to (laughs) how to um communicate well and eloquently enough Mm. um because then sometimes I I told one of my teachers that I was like being a little bit homesick and she started crying and then I started crying and I was like this isn't this isn't helpful at all now I feel bad yeah (laughs) (laughs) um yeah like sometimes I just go to class and like start crying and they'll be like oh are you okay and I'm like yeah just keep going (laughs) I'm just really homesick um so did you talk to your family a lot on I did I did like I I messaged them a lot but because the time difference was so annoying Mm. um I didn't call them probably as much as what I could have um yeah I missed my dog I missed grass Mm. I missed being around water um so I missed all the things I missed speaking English yeah um and now I miss speaking Japanese. Like, I don't know whether <laughs> I can do it as well anymore. Um, but, yeah, that was a huge, huge growing mm. growing period. A lot of growing pains. Um, and saying that, I was like, if I look back and told my 16-year-old self that when you're, you know, in your 20s, you're going to be living in Tokyo, I would have been like, no way. Yeah. Yeah. What and was food like? Amazing. Yeah? Amazing. Yeah, what was I your favourite food? Um, I... S- and to this day, I still love a good ramen. Like, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Oh and the sashimi over there is, like, just a next level beautiful. Oh like, the stuff here is rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the ramen is different in Japan compared to here? There are a couple of good ones here. Ah. Um, yeah. Where are the good places to go? So there's one town, Pawpaw, down in Auckland. I think it's Beach Road. Okay. Right down Beach Road. That's a really good one. And then, um, I can't remember, there's one in Beechlands Bay. Okay. There's um, only two. That I really like. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's only two that like measure up to the Japanese. Um, and apparently, there's another really good place in Pineal and Newmarket that's opened, but uh-huh. we haven't tried that out, so I can't vouch for it. Okay. So you come back home to Whangarei? Mm-hmm. Back, yeah. So what do you do now? Um. So before, on my interview panel for that scholarship, there was a man who worked in HR for Moana, New Zealand, mm-hmm. and when he when I was awarded the scholarship he said get in touch with me when you finish in Japan and so I did mm. um, and they didn't really have a role for me specifically and, a lot, and I think a lot of companies like they can't just create roles because they like you mm-hmm. um, maybe they can I don't know maybe they didn't like me enough <laughs> <laughs> but there was a role that came up in the communications um, area and it was like a kind of an entry level role but with it came a lot of sustainability stuff mm. and with it came the, I won't say promise, but they, there was pretty much the fact that I'd be able to work with the um, oyster 
team in Nelson at the Cawthorn Institute. Mm-hmm. That never happened. Mm. That's fine. Because that's far away down <laughs> the South Island, <laughs> yeah, so we yeah. didn't want to go there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to live in Nelson. <laughs> I was very hard no on living in Nelson. Now I look back, I'm like, actually, Nelson's a beautiful place. It <laughs> yeah. would have been fine. Um, they couldn't understand why I put on live in Auckland. <laughs> no, I can't either. <laughs> but with that came a lot of the sustainability stuff and so I was doing a little bit of comms and what I realised around that is that like when we're at uni um, and it might be different now with the um, with blogging and, mm-hmm. and vlogging all the, and things that happen a little mm-hmm. bit more bit, bit more normalised now um, is that I didn't learn how to communicate science well enough to normal people mm-hmm. and I genuinely think that if we as scientists were better at communicating it in layman's terms that maybe things like climate change disbelievers wouldn't be so exactly. strong and so empowered yeah um so i definitely think that that's a work on and i wish that maybe during my studies that i taken a couple of comms papers or something just mm. to learn how to properly share not so much in like when we were in science we learned how to write for scientists right mm. so i could write something that you'd get you can yeah. write something that i'd probably maybe get yeah no, <laughs> <laughs> but if someone who didn't know anything was going to pick it up it wasn't helpful mm. um so when i was working in a comms role, i was like this is like i get it like a little bit of marketing a little bit of branding just like shush things up a bit and then someone's going to read like a, a whole newsletter on um climate change or oysters or whatever um so i definitely think that mm. if i could have restructured my degree just to get a little bit of comms experience or marketing or branding in there so that i knew how to tell my story better it's so important because the work that we do is for the community right and it's to help them so it is for me it makes sense that we communicate in a way that they understand because it's for them so i yeah i agree and that's where it gets like science for society and society is actually enabled and empowered to use this knowledge because yeah not everyone's got a knack for science not everyone mm. likes it yeah but they like seeing the results and they get it when there's a graph and they understand what mm. up means and what down means yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know um yeah learning how to communicate the um jargon and stuff mm. better would definitely have been something that i would have gone back and improved on my learnings um rather than just following it up with genetics and fish. <laughs> So that was your role in at Moana? Yeah, so I was yeah. in a communications role, um, and it was the sustainability stuff that I kind of really attached to, because that was like the scientific stuff that sat behind it. Mm. Um, so understanding things like ecosystem services, um, things like the areas that the fish have been, um, you know, we've got snapper one, snapper two, mm-hmm. all the different areas that the fisheries have been divided into, um, and then aligning that with iwi, um, here mm. as well because just because snapper one's here doesn't mean that it touches on like five or six different iwi um, territories right so if down the track when um, post in a post settlement stage where there are wahitapu the iwi saying like this is really important to me I, I don't think we should fish here because someone passed away or because mm. there's a um, spawning ground then that's going to start um, having issues with where the areas that the government has decided the fish have been broken up into. Mm. Um, so all of that kind of stuff kind of helped me keep focused on the yeah. con stuff because there's only so much New Zealand writing one can enjoy doing. Mm. Um, so yeah, so understanding that, understanding the trajectories where all fishes were going, where the boats were travelling, mm. um, what kind of breeding grounds those were travelling through, 
all of that kind of stuff was kind of around the sustainability of the business because if you don't have fish in the sea then you don't have anything to sell mm. so were you based in the office and in the i don't know in the water in the field yep yeah yep. not as much as what i um would have liked to mainly because well sites that were so like just they were distributed all over new zealand oh, okay um like in nelson and mm. coromandel then there is in the far far north and um Whangaroa. so i didn't get out as much as i would have liked to and the main reason like you can you can communicate because usually again the people who are the locals know what's mm. know what's happening there so you can communicate with them really well and you can kind of get a sense a mm. bit of a sense um, and saying that there's always something to be said for kanohi ki te kanohi and having face-to-face conversations yeah. with those people. So you're not always a name behind an email mm. um, and building those relationships because then people trust you and they, they believe in what you're trying to achieve. Um, so as I've kind of progressed through my career, I've been less and less outside. Okay. <laughs> um, which is not how I, <laughs> yeah. I planned it. Um, and saying that like my current role again like we've got flexible working so mm. I can work outside if I have to or want to um, but my role now is kind of very largely based around carbon emissions and carbon reporting mm. because um, the I work in the energy industry and that's kind of our biggest most material issue at the moment mm. um, and saying that my hopeful like the next two or three years is to kind of launch my own sustainability consultancy so that I can help other businesses start um, intertwining indigenous knowledge and putting indigenous peoples into their strategies rather yep. than just being a resource that they need to manage when we start saying protesting or saying mm. you can't you can't do that here um, and one of the main catalysts for that decision was in um, I, I was taken to Hawaii as a part of a conference oh. delegation um, to the beginning of last year. And yeah. over there I met um, who, one of my, who has now become a really good friend. I met a whole bunch of really mm. awesome Indigenous people. So it was called the um, Future Leaders of the Pacific Culture uh, Conference. Mm-hmm. And they it was run by the American, an American part of the government which was really strange um and it kind of brought a whole bunch of indigenous peoples together and what i thought it was going to be was a a time to sit down and sort of wananga and to think about like all the challenges that we face as indigenous younger people um and how we can start mobilizing our countries and companies to start doing things um differently that didn't happen so (laughs) it was just like a, a very um american tour of all the things that they thought we would like to do in Hawaii. Oh, um, I see. Yeah. So why is it important for you to, I guess, understand more about Matalanga Māori and then communicate that to people? I think it just, um, I mean, for me, it's not about non-Māori. It's not about enabling them and giving them more information. Um, it's not not about that, but the focus for me is empowering our people, and mm. um, that's Māori and Pacifica people. Mm. Um, so either finding out, because again, I don't feel like I, I can share all of the knowledge because I'm mm. not the current like kaitiaki, I'm not a komasua, mm-hmm. but helping them link to or find or empower them to find those stories from their places and from their people. Um, so yeah that's and just empowering them to say like hey 
this is what you've always known this is what all of us have always known western science is just us kind of ticking the boxes to say to work and live in the world that we're currently living in like the reality is is that we have degrees is that we live in a, a very westernized society and that to have these things means that we're successful um, in other people's eyes and those other people are the ones that pay us yep. <laughs> you know exactly and it sucks that we have to do that that we can't go and live off the land mm. and in communities like we would want to um, but it's just the reality of of the position that we're in at the moment and so um your you succeeding means that i succeed and vice versa and um like one we need to work together to do that as a as a whole people and two we need to empower those who might be a little bit lost on their journeys mm. yeah and we're all growing and we're all learning and how does that fit into the science industry today in new zealand how do you think matsuranga maori fits into i think that? it's getting a little bit more um visibility i think for me, I would appreciate. I would. I'm trying to. I'm trying to switch the tables uh-huh. and have the Matauran as the first thing. The Western science supports that. Yeah. And so we're not quite there yet. It's still kind of like a um, the sun rises because of the axis of the Earth and <laughs> the tilt and yes, everything. Yes, you know, yes, yes, yes. the the Western science and then if you have a look at the indigenous um, version and, and why the sun rises and why we do chants and why we do karakia or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love it to eventually at least have equal weighting mm-hmm. in, I don't know, exams or conversations and not just be like a hairy-fairy, like, feel-good thing that mm. we that we talk about. Because um, it's about reconnecting us with our land and with um, Papatūnuki, with um, Tangaroa in the, the islands or the lands that you come from. Um, and that's not just here, it's in... Samoa, it's in Hawaii, it's in Fiji, it's in um, the Americas, you know, mm. it's in Canada, it's everywhere where Indigenous peoples are. It's about like understanding where you come from, understanding the stories of your tupuna and mm. knowing and knowing yourself and being confident in where you stand. Yeah. And all of that comes through what I like to call Matauranga Māori. Yeah. <laughs> But it's just science. It's it's science. It's art. It's all of it. Mm. Yeah, I think it's really important to understand who you are, and I'm what I'm finding is that that means going back to where you are from, or where you feel is most home. Yeah, and that is really in the form of Matauranga Māori Indigenous science, Indigenous knowledge for totally. us. And um, it really all starts there, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, because I feel. Um, for our Pacifica people, our New Zealand-born Pacifica are kind of having their identity crisis yeah. because we aren't able to connect back or don't know how to. Totally. So it's yeah, it is. It does really start with Matarangamaui Indigenous Science to know yeah. who we are. Yeah, because it's part of our whakapapa Yeah, and then a genealogy and knowing, knowing where to where to start. Knowing where to start yeah. is such a difficult, such a difficult thing. Um, I guess. At least, I don't know, and I probably can, I'm probably speaking out of terms, but um, there are still generations around for a lot of Pacifica people these days to find the access to that knowledge. Mm, um, yeah. I think for European counterparts mm. in New Zealand, that's long lost because mm. they've been here for 250 years now. So I think the identity crisis there is a lot different. Yeah, oh, um, yeah, that's true because mm. but I come from here like you do 
and you come from somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true, yeah. And that's why I'm learning to say, you know, uh, I'm Māori and Croatian because I'm not one or the other. Yeah, so how do you, yeah, how do you identify with both cultures? And Croatian is something that I've never been there before. Mm. Um, and it's my surname's Soup, like it's like the equivalent of Smith or something over there. Oh, like okay. It's very, common. very common. Oh, very common. People Yeah. Okay. Um, I think there's like butcheries and stuff over there. <laughs> okay. I, I, I don't know, but like I'm getting like, you know, Snapchats from my friends because there's like photos oh, of sandwich yeah. bars or whatever with peanuts on it. And I'm like, yeah, it's, I don't know anything about it. Um, so that's, and I, I'm just very lucky that my dad's done a lot of research. So mm. I know who to go visit when I'm over there. Um, for him, it was a lot harder so I get like I'm lucky that I've got him because he's had that challenge of trying to find the information where it doesn't exist. Mm. Um, so I'm still trying to reconcile that part. I think the Croatian part is pretty easy for me to mm. like acknowledge because it's in my surname. I don't. I look a little bit different to mm. other some other Maori um, people. It's the kind of because I've got a bit of Scottish and Irish mm-hmm. bloodline in me as well, and that like I'm very confronted with how because sometimes the relationship between Scottish and Māori or Irish and Māori weren't perfect. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of um, Māori or potentially Pacifica with the European blood in them probably feel the same way. Yeah. Like, you know, one, one person saying that um, Captain Cook was awful, but I'm a descendant of his mm. whanau, or, you know, and the other side, like I'm the descendant of a great chief somewhere else. So how do I internally yeah. um, pay respects to both sides and understand, you know, that they are what makes me me. Mm. So how do I take the best parts of both lineages and, because I mean, not all Māori were nice to each other, no. not all Pacific people <laughs> were nice to each other. <laughs> we know that. Um, yeah, so there's, I think it's just learning how to accept yourself and accept all levels of yourself. Okay as well and that takes time oh so much time. <laughs> yeah like sometimes i'll you know i'll say like oh gosh it's like <laughs> that's my family back in the day yeah and that's kind of sometimes the, the difficult thing is when you do uncover when you go back and you look and you're like oh you know i was part of this really awesome clan <laughs> and mm. you go back and you figure out what that clan actually used to do or what that tribe used to do um so i don't think that's specifically just for european people because yeah maori we were yeah. pretty rough on each other and, <laughs> <laughs> you know we weren't we we did what we had to do i guess mm. um but now you feel comfortable to identify as maori and croatian yeah yeah that's yeah. good that's really good but it's still it, again it took you time just by researching about your family and just being okay this is my family cool but this is who I am now yeah. type of thing yeah. yeah that was my family you know those are decisions that they made again like with the real thing my great grandparents chose not to mm-hmm. pass down the deal to their children because they saw that everyone else was getting beaten yeah so why would you right yeah, yeah. if you're going to save your kids from getting a hiding at school yeah you would mm-hmm. I would mm-hmm. and so even looking back and like having a forgiving lens on that because now we have to go back and relearn and we don't have um, some of the stories or probably some of the, the words or the real because it's evolved since then. Oh, yeah. Um, like the English, English mm. language as well, yeah. True. Yeah, so there mm. are parts of that that I'm like, it would have been really cool. Also, kind of glad my nan didn't get beaten to school every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
so yeah like it's really cool to see that a lot of my peers and stuff do have the deal and like that's awesome but I always have to respect that my family chose not to pass mm-hmm. it down and I guess for that reason I need to be grateful because it's done me well like I've succeeded mm. um, in a western world yeah. because I was considered articulate or whatever yeah which I know what you mean yeah. bull, which is bull. <laughs> um, so people who are thinking about getting into science or maybe thinking about going back to university um, into science what's some advice that you would give them based on my experience I jumped in with like all feet all hands all feet yep. all in um, that might not work for everyone mm-hmm. sometimes it might be better to do, like bite things off just as you as you learn just start mm-hmm. with one paper um, just start with one question mm. um, or yeah and like they've got you to reach out to if you have any questions yeah. so find resources because if generally if those people don't know they'll find someone else who, who or they'll mm. know know who will know um, but I just encourage it because we need more scientists and I know people say that and I know like it's been the message that we've been pumping out and have pumped into mm. us well the government so true it. yeah it's just so true because you can take a science degree and you can like me learn how to do communications and you can learn how to do mm. these little bits and pieces around it but you you can't there are some things in science that you can't learn just by doing some you can some you can't um so yeah if you wanted to do a science degree i would be 100 percent supportive mm. of that because we do need more scientists we do need more indigenous scientists and um challenge what you're told like if it doesn't sit right yeah challenge it and then uh, gently <laughs> in the right way don't say it's not true in the end but just challenge what you're told and get someone to explain it to you mm. and if that sits right with you take that piece of knowledge and put it in your kit mm. um because yeah we're not i feel especially like as Māori pacifica we're like oh he knows more than me he's an elder yes yeah i'm gonna I sit here yeah. and shut up yeah because i don't want to get decked yeah. or whatever <laughs> yeah <laughs> or growled or yeah. called out <laughs> but university is built for that kind of um dialogue mm. for critical thinking um for challenging and then like as you're kind of ending your degree I would suggest like keeping your eye out for internships keeping your eye out for scholarships and all those things but also starting to look at um, the way that people employ people so there mm-hmm. are um, things like personality tests there are things like um, so the Myers-Briggs the DIST test understand how you learn and how you mm. work with other people so that you can communicate True. that in the interview um, then there are things like um, Oh, those awful have you done those awful tests that you like the um gosh I can't even think of them the reasoning tests and the logic mm. tests so I got like all these tests that I had to do before I could even apply for the role that I have here Whoa. um just about logic and reasoning and um, reading and writing and all those and okay. kinds of things and you can find free versions of them online mm. just to practice getting into that kind of thing so that you know that you'd be a good fit for a team mm. or knowing how to there's knowing how to interview but you could get there and you could be like actually I don't want this person to be my manager mm. and so and that's okay and that's okay mm. and so like you have power yeah okay you want the money like yeah but you also want to be happy in the workplace that you're yes. at so if you get in there and you're not getting good vibes from someone and they offer you to come back for a second interview, it's okay to say, actually, no, um, mm. I'm going to keep looking or 
say you've got another office elsewhere or you know mm. you're it's so learning how to um read people and to understand like who would be a good manager what are your expectations from a manager what do you need what do you want to learn and how do you want to grow um even all those things at university you know mm. gauging new friends and new people are you going to yeah. actually be good for me do i need you in my circle are you are you going to help or hinder my growth mm. So all of those skills that you pick up when you're at university are quite translatable into the mm. workforce. And how your values align as well. So as 100%. Indigenous people, how you feel in the workplace. Yeah. And what your limits are. Because mm. our values are always challenged, especially in the workplace, when someone's saying you've got a big contract that I need you to go and deliver on. Um, you know, I'll find out who are in engineering and construction and they've been asked to construct on... Mm. sacred land Mm. (laughs) you know what's your limit Mm. how willing are you to to challenge your own values um is there any flexibility in there and which ones are you flexible on if not then yeah make sure that the company that you're working for or the work that you're doing makes you feel settled inside and does align with your values Mm. and companies are getting better they are um and don't be afraid to give feedback like on your interview say like hey no look i'm not look i'm not going to proceed any further because I have a really strong value of kaitiakitanga and, and what you're doing I don't think I can deliver on that value for myself every day mm. and they might come back and say oh well actually we do and let's have another conversation about right. it um, so that opens up another door just saying that you don't align with them yeah though they may come back and say oh let's have a chat yeah mm. yeah what does it mean for you what does oh. it look like for you because um I think it's Indigenous people and like the diversity at work thing is really important but the diversity of thought at work is really important as well Mm. so that's bringing a new look and a new lens and being able to feel brave enough to say have we thought about this Um, have we thought about how this is going to affect our carbon emissions therefore sea level change and have we thought about the vulnerable communities when Mm. we're going to make that decision if yes like what mitigation plans have we got in place if no then we need to go and do better yeah yeah Mm, and yeah just feeling confident to say that and speak up yeah and it's such a hard thing for us right yeah (laughs) yeah but I I think from your journey and naturally you feel confident to speak out yeah to to help others um to help us so that we feel empowered as well yeah yeah so always think about the people who aren't in the room the children the I like to personify the the water, so I'm like, mm. how would the water feel about this decision? How would the tree feel about this decision? It sounds oh, like yeah. loony ears. Um, no, I get that, yeah. I haven't thought about it, but it makes sense when you put it like that. Yeah. yeah. So think oh. about the, the people who, or the, you know, entities that aren't in the room when you're making decisions, mm. um, and take that all throughout your leadership development, mm. um, because it is so important. And yeah, be brave to stand up and speak out. Um, but do it with like intention so like when you do everything you do you do with intention so um you want to do it so that when people when you speak people listen to you rather than just disagreeing to disagree okay so how would like what would an example be put me on the spot sorry (laughs) it's probably going back to like the things about um making sure that we include the vulnerable communities um so like at work I harp on about the vulnerable communities all the time mm-hmm. but because the people around me have, have very privileged upbringings they yeah. haven't seen vulnerable communities they've seen them on the news yeah, yeah, and yeah. they know they exist because yeah. 
Alex talks about them always. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, actually saying like, hey, what we have we thought about the vulnerable communities and how they're going to be impacted by us raising the price. Mm. Oh, but it's only 50 cents. I'm like, yeah, but people are literally living dollar to dollar in mm. some of these places. And it's uh, very civilized the way you deliver it. Yeah. So it's yeah. not just like, ah, that's wrong. Yeah. And if you like, can back it up with, yeah. with facts, yeah, or just be like, stop being a dick. Yeah. You're forgetting about the brown people. Stop being a dick. You're so arrogant. <laughs> yeah. So it's about like just delivering cool. it in a way that's like not confronting because otherwise people shut Got up it. their shut their doors straight away got it so if people want more advice about how to deliver civilized issues <laughs> don't come to me <laughs> or they just want to have a chat um where can they contact you um you can contact me on instagram if you want to follow me on instagram okay so i'm at alex Pivak, or um you can i'm happy to share my email with you because the people yep. that listen to your podcast are awesome cool so yep. i'm more than happy to have them hit me up in my inbox cool instagram and email and i'll put that in when i post this yeah um, any last comments or things you want to talk about? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to end on a really bit, a really awesome quote. It's the one I tell my um, when I um, coach hockey kids. Oh yeah. I feel like my story is like the exact opposite of what I tell my kids. I'm always like, listen to your parents, and <laughs> failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or. Another really good one is if you can't find a leader, just be one. Oh. Yeah. From Science 100%. Okay. 100%. Awesome. Thank you, Alex. Thanks, Amy. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the Salmon Scientist podcast. If you have any more questions or comments, just message me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And please ask me questions. I'm here to help. Thank you.